Psalm 3. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. This is the word of the Lord. Before we get going, one other quick thing. We are still scheduled to close on our property on uh, Monday, June 19th. That's two weeks from tomorrow. And we have targeted uh, a first Sunday worship gathering in the new building on Sunday, July 9th. So please continue to pray for that. Those are, the closing is pretty much set, but the, the beginning in the new worship space is somewhat tenuous still. It depends on how much work we can get done before that Sunday. So continue to pray, uh, thank God for his provision for us, and uh, ask that he continue to bring us through to the finish line on closing. So that's just one update. Okay, let's look at Psalm 3. If you're around my age, you know, maybe if you're even younger or older than me, you like to remember uh, the old t-shirts with the adage, no fear, stamped on them. It's the sort of thing like guys that fly fighter jets for a living would wear. Not that we have any of those guys here. They were popular for a long time. Um, They're usually worn by young men, you know, who want to project a certain level of confidence uh, and give off a particular disposition and, and way of living in the world. I remember seeing them emblazoned on snowboards, right? And on skateboards. And, and, and there's something admirable, I think, and attractive in the boldness of the no fear slogan. But the problem with it is none of us are really actually like that. All of us, to some degree, whether we admit it or not, have a level of fear. Fear is common in this world. I wonder if you knew that the command we see more than any other command in the entire Bible is the command, do not fear. The implication, of course, of that is that fear is normative. Fear is common. To fear in many ways is human. So how does the Christian faith address the issue of fear? What do we do when we're afraid? That's what Psalm 3 is about. We're beginning, as I said, a new teaching series that's going to take us through the summer. We're calling it Songs for Summer. We're studying um, a selection of the songs of the Bible found in this big hymn book with 150 hymns right in the middle of the scripture that we call the Psalms. The Psalms are a collection of poems, a collection of songs that were written over a 1,500-year period in ancient Israel. And some are written for congregational singing on Sundays. Some are written as personal, personal reflections of praise to God. Some are laments of sorrow. Some are, some are cries for justice and vindication. Some are coronation anthems for the nation of Israel. They're very diverse, the Psalms. 
And one of the things that I think can be most appreciated about the Psalms is that they run the full gamut of human emotion and experience. They run the full gamut of human emotion and experience in this world, which is why in my experience as a Christian, as you get older and as you speak to brothers and sisters who have lived a lot of life almost without reserve, their favorite book of the Bible is the Psalms. The Psalms are both windows and mirrors. They're a window into God's heart, into God's character, but they're also a mirror that reflect our own hearts back to us. And they teach us how to take our lives to God in faith. They teach us the Psalms, how to rely on Jesus in the gospel, in the manifold circumstances and situations in which we find ourselves in the pilgrimage of life. And so this morning, I hope we'll see, as it relates to fear, that the scripture actually has a lot to teach. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of in life? Where has fear captured you? And how are you handling it? Let's reflect together on this idea as we study this very, very old song of David. Two parts, the reality of fear and the response to fear. The reality The response. First, the psalm talks about the reality of fear. The context of the psalm is important for our understanding of it. You can read about it in the little words at the very beginning of Psalm 3 if you have your own Bible with you there. This is called a superscription. And it reads, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Now, some of the psalms provide us with historical context like this one does, which help aid our understanding. We actually just studied this story from the book of 2 Samuel a couple of months ago. Toward the end of King David's reign, he's the most famous king in the history of Israel. One of his sons, his third-born son, Absalom, stages a coup against his father. And Absalom succeeds, in fact, in turning much of Israel against David. And Absalom invades Jerusalem, the capital city, with his own gathered army, And David is afraid, and he's forced to flee the city that he has ruled over for almost four decades with his closest family and associates. David runs away in fear. And by the way, David isn't running away because he's a coward. There is a type of fear that's reasonable. David knows if he's going to continue to live, he has to escape. He has to get away now, but he has a lot of fear. He's afraid of what's going to happen. He's afraid of those whom he has to leave behind. He's afraid of the ruin this might bring on his city and on his household. He's afraid that someone is going to take his life. It's a serious and a severe threat. And so he's in exile, leaving his own palace, and on the road he writes this psalm, taking his fears to God. And look at the opening, verses 1 and 2. We see like a, a staccato of many's here. O Lord, David writes, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many or saying of my soul, there's no salvation for him in God. So David is afraid of a couple of things. One, he's afraid of the hostility, 
the hostility that he's facing. He says he has enemies everywhere. At any moment, one of his foes could take him out. Perhaps someone close to him will betray him to Absalom. After all, Absalom's just betrayed him. Perhaps there are spies lurking. There's a fear of other people from David here. A fear of enemies, a fear of hostility. Listen, that's something that all of you who are Christians at one time or another will face. It's a legitimate fear. Have you ever had someone in your life who simply opposes you, who just seems to be against you at every turn, who is out to get you? That can happen in the workplace. That can happen at school. That might even happen in in a relationship that you have that has gone sideways. And of course, we all face hostility, not just from other people, but from the evil one. The New Testament tells us that as Christians, our war is not primarily against flesh and blood, but Paul says in Ephesians 6 that it is against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenlies. First Peter says that the devil, the evil one, roams around like a lion waiting to devour. All of us, if you believe the gospel, have a hostile enemy that hits us with deceptive lies. He wants to oppress. He wants to harm. He seeks our ill at every turn. We might never face an army of enemies like David did, but all of us undoubtedly at some point in our lives as pilgrims in this life will face hostile opposition and will be afraid. David's afraid of opposition. But it goes further. If you look in verse 2, David's not just afraid of the foes rising against him. He's afraid that, that God has left him. Look at what he says. Many are saying of my soul. Look at how personal that language is. Many are saying of my life. There's no salvation for him in God. For David, as God's chosen king, his fear would have certainly been amped up as he heard these voices. People all around David are saying he's going to end up just like Saul ended up. God left Saul because of Saul's sin, and now God's going to leave you, David. You, David, have made too big a mess of things. You, David, have lost control of your children. You, David, have screwed up so badly that there's no way to put it in reverse. God is finished with you. God has left you. There's no salvation for you in God. Every voice David hears is telling him that. And so while he's afraid of the army surrounding him, his deeper fear is that God has left. This verse cuts right into the human heart. It's one of the beautiful things about what the Psalms do. They reflect our own hearts back to us. This idea casts a picture of how we often experience life. Think about it with me, okay? Think about it with me. I know a lot of us have felt like David felt back then. A lot of us might feel like that right now. We think that God loves people, but God doesn't love me personally and particularly. We believe that God takes care of people, but he seems to have forgotten about me. We believe that God walks with his sheep as a good shepherd, but he's left me in the pit that I've fallen into. There's salvation, 
in God for other people, but not for me. Now, you might say, I know I'm going to when I die, I can give you kind of the right Bible answers. But right now, if I'm really honest, in the middle of life's pressures and in the middle of life's pains, God seems distant. God seems unconcerned. Promises that seem to be fulfilled for others aren't fulfilled for me. Prayers that seem to be answered for others aren't answered for me. That's the voice we hear. In our inner world, there's no salvation for you and God. God has left you. You're on your own. And among other things, that's frightening. It's baffling. It brings to mind the beginning of another of David's psalms. Psalm 10 begins by saying this, Why, O Lord, do you stand so far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? When we're afraid, you see, of the hostility of the world, or when we're afraid of what our own thoughts and feelings tell us, that God has abdicated, that God has abandoned, that God has left, what do we do? The rest of the psalm charts a path for us. Let me show you that. Second, the response. We see the reality of fear, now the response. We come to verse 3, and uh, we find really the heart of this psalm. This is such a wonderful verse. It's a wonderful picture. It's a representation of really what we want you as people in this church to be doing all the time. And it's a picture of what we want to be doing in worship every single week. What David is doing here is preaching to himself. (laughs) Did you know all of you are preachers? You're always preaching something to yourself. We want you to preach the gospel The good news of God's character and God's activity in Jesus to your own heart when you're afraid. That's what David does here. He he sings to himself. You know, I preach to myself, Kevin sings to himself. It amounts to the same thing, right? Um, He remembers what's true, David does. He exercises faith. He He believes in God's promises and he uses those truths to wage war against his fear. Look at the first word of verse 3. It sets it up. But, but, there's a transition here. There's a contrast here. Even though I'm surrounded by enemies, and even though everyone's telling me God has left, but you, O Lord, you, Yahweh, are a shummy. My glory, the lifter of my head. David's saying, fear doesn't have the last word. When the evil one lies to us that there's no salvation for us in God, we can fight back with the truth. But you, O Lord, are a shield. David responds to fear. And he teaches us to respond to our fear too. Let me show you three ways you can respond, okay? First, trust that you're surrounded. Trust that you're surrounded. Um, David calls God his shield. That was an apt image, right? Given what he's facing. He felt surrounded. Many are rising against me, verse 1. But what he does is he trusts that what truly surrounds him is not his enemies, but God his shield. There's another story in the Bible that illustrates this point. Another time in the Bible when someone felt afraid. Way back at the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 15, God appeared to this man named Abram, and he said, Hey, Abram, go out into the land that I'm going to show you. And Abram's like, Where is it? Don't worry about that. When will I get there? Don't worry about that either. How much money do I need? Don't worry about that either. Just go. 
And Abraham goes, and he takes all his family with him, and, and he doesn't know where he's going. He's just trusting God. He steps out in faith, and he has to deal with all kinds of issues, and his nephew Lot is a knucklehead, and he has to rescue his nephew Lot. And, and God also has promised him a child, and Abraham's 90, and his wife Sarah is a little bit younger, but not that much younger, right? There are no spring chickens, and there's still no child, still no promise. And in Abram's head must be the same thing that was in David's head. Have you abandoned me, God? Is there no salvation for me in you? But then in Genesis chapter 15, God appears to Abraham. And he says to Abraham in verse 1 of Genesis 15, Fear not. Fear not, Abraham. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Here's the crucial thing you need to get. You only need a shield when you're in the middle of a fight. You only need a shield when you're moving forward into battle. And Abraham has to believe that God is a shield for him only after he's followed God into the wild unknown in faith. Only after he's experienced hostility. Only after he's experienced loss. How do you know that God is your shield? How do you trust that you're surrounded by God's protective presence? You can only learn that when you're in the midst of trouble. That's the way this works. You can only learn that when you're surrounded by enemies, when you're plagued by fear and doubt. That's when the shield protects you. God helps you respond to fear by taking you right into the teeth of what you're afraid of and showing up for you. That word shield in Hebrew, there's actually two types of shield. Not that I'm a shield expert. I just rely on the commentaries. Okay, here's what the commentary said. Two types of shield. One is the little shield for hand-to-hand combat. That's not this shield. This is a big, huge shield. And notice David says, you're not a shield in front of me. You're a shield around me. A shield about me. How many of you ever ever heard of a phalanx? You've heard of phalanx? It's a very ancient. The Spartans would get into this um, uh, formation when they would go into battle. And they had these massive shields that would go from the very tips of your toes to the very top where only your head was showing. And they would interlock the shields and move forward into battle. And guys from behind, like three rows back would come up and take their spear and boom. But the, the, the fight was almost impossible when you faced this kind of formation because the shields covered everything. But here's the deal. Think about it. A phalanx can only move forward. If you try to move that backward, it's going to be a disaster. Everything's going to fall apart. It only protects you, a shield does. As you go into the action, as you go into the fray, that seems to be how God works, at least in my life. We pray and ask for him to care for us and show us his love and provision, and he answers. But listen, he doesn't answer by shielding you from danger. He answers by shielding you in danger. Your hardships and struggles, the things that make you afraid, are often the means by which God is teaching you that he is your shield. And as we really grow into this belief, we can find refuge in the face of fear. David goes on to say, I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I won't be afraid of the thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Trust that you're surrounded. A second fear, remember your identity. God says, excuse me, David says, you, O Lord, are my shield 
and my glory. My glory. That's a very interesting idea. That word glory, uh, literally it means heaviness. Heaviness. It's the word from which we derive notions of dignity or importance or weightiness or, or honor. So David, when he says God is his glory, is remembering that God is the heaviest thing, the, the weightiest thing in his life. In other words, David is remembering that his entire identity is found and secured in who he is in God, in who he is in Christ. And interestingly, given the context of this psalm, it seems that David in his older age had forgotten that for a time. Remember, he says, but you, O Lord, are a shield, my glory. He wouldn't say, but, unless something else had been his glory. You see, David had begun to believe that his glory, that his identity was in, say, his kingdom. That it was in his military prowess, that it was in his musicianship, that it was in his family. But now all of that has been stripped away from him. It's all been taken. You think you're a great dad, David? Well, look at what Absalom's doing. Scratch that one off the list. You think you're a great musician? All your instruments are back in Jerusalem. You think you're a great general? Most of your army, including your very closest advisor, have betrayed you to your rebel son. You don't have anything left. And so David is saying, the illusion that my identity is built on any of these things has been totally stripped from me. So how does remembering that God is your identity, how does remembering that God is your glory help you respond to fear? How do we connect those two things? Here's what David is saying. He's saying, I located my glory. I located my identity in these other things. And if that happens, you're going to be afraid of losing them, right? These things are usually good things. The things we locate our glory in, our families, our career, our reputation, our achievements, our kingdoms, all good. But they are limited things. They're finite things. They're things that are subject to the changes that this world can bring in a snap. They can't be our glory because it's too easy for them to vanish. And we know it, so we fear. But now God is saying, through David, when we see that we make our glory things that aren't God, it cripples us with fear. But if my glory is God, I'm not going to be afraid because God is the only thing in the universe that is secure. I won't have to fear losing that which is most valuable to me if God is most valuable. And the same thing is true for you. Listen, if your glory is God, if your treasure is in the Lord, if your identity is firmly secured and rooted in Christ, then you can know with the convictional certainty that you can never lose that which has the most value to you. And what that does is it gives you this powerful, liberating freedom to boldly go into life without fear. 
Because you know you can lose the things that you previously had been deathly afraid to lose and that all's going to be well because your glory is properly located. What is your glory? Here's what fear is. Fear is the smoke that leads to the fire of what your glory is. If you glory in having God's approval, you can lose everyone else's. If you glory in God's unchanging love, you can live when people hate you. If you glory in being in God's kingdom, you don't have to be terrified of losing your own kingdom. It's how you respond to fear. Okay? Last, you look up in faith. The the last thing that helps us respond to fear is to look up in faith. David says, God is a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. What does that mean? Uh, Well, to have your head bowed, right, among other things, it signifies shame. It signifies humiliation, which is exactly what David is experiencing as he leaves Jerusalem and as he writes this psalm. But here he says, God is the lifter of my head. In other words, David believes in his fear that God will come and answer his shame, that God will answer his humiliation, that God will keep his promises to David, even when David has failed to keep his promises to God. After all, that's one of the great fears we have that I mentioned earlier, that God's promises aren't really for me, personally and particularly. We hear the voice of condemnation say, there's no salvation in God for you. And we bow our heads. But the psalm says, look up. Let God lift your head and say, look at who I am. Look at what I've done. And as we close up, wonderfully, from the other side of the Bible, knowing what we know about Jesus, we can read this psalm and specifically believe this promise with fresh eyes. How do you know God will save you? How do you know he will lift your head out of fear? How do you know God will deliver you out of shame? How do you know that God is with you when you feel condemned? How can you know for sure that he will hear your cries for help personally and particularly? You can know because David was not the final person in this family to sing this song. In fact, Jesus, David's greater son, experienced this as well. Think about it. Jesus, like David, was surrounded by foes. Many rose against him. Soldiers come for him in the garden. And Jesus says, why are you coming at me with swords and spears? I'm just a rabbi. I've been with you all this time. Is this really necessary? Jesus had people shouting at him, there's no salvation for you in God. The crowds surrounded him as he was crucified and said, if you're really the son of God, come down for the cross. Jesus also lay down and slept In his own death and burial, Jesus experienced even more than his ancestor David experienced, hostility and abandonment. David only felt like he was abandoned by God, but Jesus really was. Really was, for a time, abandoned by his father. And yet, just as he did for David... So God answered Jesus' cries from his hill. Just as David woke up again, so the Lord sustained 
Jesus, waking him up, not from sleep, but from death. Jesus is the answer to the end of this psalm too. In Christ, God has arisen and saved. In Christ, God will strike all our enemies and break the teeth of the wicked. In Christ, salvation belongs to the Lord and we experience God's divine blessing. Listen, the message of Psalm 3 is that when you're afraid, look up in faith and see that Jesus too was afraid. When you're afraid, look up in faith and see that Christ descended into death and came out on the other side in resurrection power. When you're afraid, look up in faith and remember that God kept all his promises to Jesus. And God kept all his promises to David. And that means you can be certain that God will keep every single promise that he's made to you. God didn't abandon Jesus, and God didn't abandon David, and God will never abandon us. God has answered from his holy hill of Calvary, where Christ was crucified, and told us in Jesus, I am your shield. I am your glory. I am the lifter of your head. We need not fear many thousands of people who've set themselves against us all around. Let's pray.